Today, there's a special word for the men in the house, fathers or not, and, and a lot of women as well who are playing the role of a father in their homes. Um, even though we say that, nothing can truly replace, nothing can truly replace a father in the home. Women are, there are some women that are doing an amazing job raising their children on their own, but, but children need um, uh, that, that manly influence in their lives. And the more reason why as a church, when there are men in this church and there are, are children that do not have fathers, we are to take them in. We're to lead them. We're to instruct them. We're to teach them to love them like ours. Amen? There's a lot of children that perhaps don't have that father figure, but they can find those father figures here in the church. Amen? Amen. Praise God. All right. Uh, so a mother was walking, was, a mother was out walking her four-year-old daughter, right? And they're taking a stroll, and she sees that her daughter bends down, picks something up, and is about to put it in her mouth. At that moment, look, I already saw some mother like, ah. At that moment, she's like, stop. You know, don't do that. And, the, and, you know, the startled child, because you know, like, you know how you jump, like, don't do that. And you're like, you scared a child. The startled child was like, but why, mommy? I mean, why can't I do this? You don't know where it's been. It's dirty. It's probably loaded with germs that will make you sick. The little girl looked at her mother uh, with total admiration. You know, they just like, like looked at her mom and all like, ah, wow, you know so much. How do you know all this stuff, mommy? You're so smart. The mother said, all moms know this stuff. It's on the mom's test. You have to know it or they don't let you be a mom. And she's like, oh, okay. And then the little baby, the little girl was quiet for a while. And she goes, oh, I get it. And if you don't pass the test, you have to be the daddy. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to us. Happy Father's Day to us. Today is my first Father's Day as a grandfather. I'm so excited. I, I got to hold him last night, even though my wife is a baby hog. She's a hog. Like, I get the baby for, like, 10 minutes, and she spends hours holding the baby. I get 10 minutes. And then it's always like, I'll, I'll have the baby, and then she'll be like, hey, babe, can you, can you do this for me real quick? I'm like, oh, she's like, oh, I'll hold the baby for you. I'm like, oh, okay. Give her the baby. Big mistake. That's it. Won't get the baby back. Um, but uh, my grandson, Kingston, uh, is, is an awesome little, little man, and he's, this is my first Father's Day as a grandfather, and it's exciting. Someone said Father's Day is just like Mother's Day, except all the presents are a lot cheaper, right? <laughs> you know that's not true. You guys love us. We often hear on Father's Day how fathers fall short. And I'm, I, I've done that too. I, I've preached on Father's Day before on how we're falling short as men. Um, and there's a time and a place for that. We, um, we hear how you know, uh, what we're not doing, you know, where we fail, and things like that. And, and I might mention one or two things here, but the focus won't be completely on that. 
But we don't get the credit that we deserve as dads many times. We really don't. Um, mom gets all the glory. Moms get all the glory. And, you know, they get all the, the news press and everything. In fact, men are, many, are misunderstood many times. Why are we misunderstood? So, so we're misunderstood. So what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do, Eric, is I'm going I'm to give the women of the house a sneak peek into our language. All right? So this is what, when a man says, it would take too long to explain. Ladies, if a man tells you, it's going to take too long to explain, he means I have no idea how it works at all. When a man says, take a break, honey, you're working too hard. What he means is, I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. Okay? All right? When a man says, hey, honey, can I help you with dinner? He's really saying, I don't understand why this is not ready yet, and I'm starving. (laughs) When a man says, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a little cut, no big deal. (laughs) He means, I I probably have a severed limb, but I will bleed to death before admitting that I'm hurt. So help me, please, is what he means by that. When a man says, I am not lost, I know exactly where I'm at, he means no one will ever see us alive again. (laughs) The good thing is men have GPSs on our phones now. We don't really have to ask nobody for directions, right? You know, but I remember a time, and I'm not even that old, but I remember a time that you had to stop at a gas station to ask for directions. Or at the toll booth, remember? Remember at the toll booth, you pull up, like, okay, so listen, what exit I got to take? And they'll be like, oh, that's exit so-and-so, and then you take that exit. And when you get to that exit, you find a gas station there, and then you ask that gas station, and you, you're, like, finding your way little by little. You had no idea how long the trip was going to take you. You didn't have that little timer on the, on the GPS that says you'll be there in two hours. It was, an, it was an adventure, right? Women didn't see it that way. They, they didn't want an adventure. They just wanted to get to where they wanted to get to. Fathers are important. On a serious note, uh, research shows that religious training, when we, when we train a child up in faith, um, it has a great impact on our children, a tremendous impact. You know, more specifically, when we, tr- when we train them up in the Scripture and we emphasize the Scripture to our children, the more faithful they'll be as adults. The more that we bring our children to children's church or to Sunday school, the more they'll be faithful as adults. But more important than that is when children see the faithfulness of a father. Because it's like sometimes kids just take for granted their mother's faithfulness. It's like their moms are going to be faithful. Like, like, like some, you know, it's, like it's, hard to, it's hard for that not to happen. But what happens is when children see their fathers that are faithful, it does something to them, and they are more likely to be faithful as adults when they have the example of a faithful father. So the question this morning and the title of our sermon is, what's a father to do? 
What's a father to do? What's a father to do? That's the question. How can fathers help their children become faithful followers of Christ? Now, this is a disclaimer I want to give you this morning because there is no formula. Like, I wish there was a formula. I wish there was something that's like, if you do this and this and stand here at this time as the sun is angled this way and put your child here, guaranteed your child will walk in the ways of the Lord. I wish there was a formula because we would all... No, without a doubt, do that because we all want to see our children saved. Amen? But the reality is that God created us with free will. And we all need to choose. We all need to choose ourselves whether we will obey him or not. That goes for our children as well. Now, listen, one thing is that we, we <laughs> children can't make that decision like on their own when they're little, Right? And so it's your responsibility to train them in that direction. You know, the worst thing is when you have a nine-year-old who says, yo, I don't feel like going, and parent says, okay. It's like that child is deciding what he or she is going to do. You are the parent. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to do a parenting class today. But you are the head of the house. You are the mom. You are the dad. When you tell your children, we're going, we are going. Do not let your children dictate their lives at such a young age because that will only open a mess for you in their teenage years, okay? Some of you, some of you, unfortunately, they know, we, we know this firsthand. There are some parents here, even today, that have raised their children in the right way. They've taken them to church. They've taken them to uh, children's church, they've raised them up, they've, they've prayed at home, and as their children turned into adults, those adults now do not serve the Lord. And, and so, you, you know, you see how even though the parents were faithful, it doesn't guarantee that our children are faithful. I'm, I'm an example of that. Um, the, at, at, at a certain time in my life, my parents were faithful, the second I was born, I think, I, I mean, back then it was different. So, you know, I'm not coming at nobody. I'm glad I'm not alive, right? But the thing is, like, back then you had a baby and you'd be at church, like, the next day, right? And I know it's different now. There's more diseases. There's more there's stuff. There's COVID that's still happening. I, I'm not coming at nobody at all. I'm just saying that there was a different time back then. And when it was a different time back then, I was taken to church, like, right away, like, right away. And it's like I never left, right, especially in that era. I would, my parents were in church, like, Sunday through Saturday. It was a mess. It was a mess because it seemed like that was my only life. But what happened was this. They were faithful. They did their part. And when I grew older, I still made a decision, and my decisions were not the right ones. And I chose to walk away from God. I chose to rebel against all the teachings that my parents gave me. However, their teachings were not in vain because the seeds were planted. And it was only a matter of time before things sprouted and everything they taught me came to surface. Amen? Throughout Scripture, we see examples of good, faithful fathers who had faithful children and some that had unfaithful children. Let's take a look at, at, uh, at a couple. 
2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 32 says, Jehoshaphat was a good king following the ways of his father, Asa. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. So we see a father, Asa, who was faithful to God. And as a result, he embedded that and, 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 and poured that into his son, Jehoshaphat, who did the same thing and did the pleasing things in the eyes of the Lord. But then, even though Jehoshaphat was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, his son, unfortunately, was not. You see in 2 Chronicles 21, 6, it says, but, Jeho- but Jehoram followed the example of the kings of Israel and was as wicked as King Ahab, for he had married one of Ahab's daughters. So Jeho- Jehoram did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Again, we can do our best, but there's no guarantee, right? What about Hezekiah and his son Manasseh? Hezekiah, without any doubt, was probably one of the best kings that Judah ever had, right? And what does the word tell us about him? Second Chronicles chapter 29. It says, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. When we think of all the good that Hezekiah has done, we know that uh, he purified the temple. He reinstated, he reinstated the, the, the Passover and other important feasts that God had commanded. That's just to name a couple. But, but Manasseh, his son, was quite different. Quite different. We know that Hezekiah was one of the best kings that Judah ever had. To be one of the best kings that Judah ever had means that not only uh, is a lifestyle reflection, you know, but, but, you know, he had wisdom, you know, he had faith, you know, uh, he, was, he, he, he was fair, he was, in, he was a man of integrity. He was just all around uh, a good example. And even though Manasseh had that right before his eyes, he still had to choose for his own life. Second Chronicles 33, verses 2 to 6, tell us a little bit about Manasseh. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He rebuilt the pagan shrines of his father, as, uh, that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up Asherah poles. He also bowed before all the powers of heaven and worshipped them. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Yo, no shame. No shame. That's, that's, that's disrespectful, right? I mean, if you're going to do something wrong, you do it, but then like to say, I'm going to do it in the temple. So he builds pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, the place where the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built those altars for the powers of the heavens in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire. He killed his own children. 
You know, children have been sacrificed since the beginning, like since the early ages. And I tell people this, and they don't realize that when you look at statistics, we have a surge of missing children that happen in a certain time of year every year. I'm not superstitious. It's factual that in October, children go missing at a higher rate than any other month in the year and are never found. What is happening to our children in October? I'm not going to get into a whole thing about, you know, Halloween and things like that, the season. Listen, people do horrible things in that season. Children are sacrificed to pagan gods to this day, to this day during that season. It's sad, very sad, but it's something you guys need to be aware about, aware of that these things still exist. We are still fighting a spiritual war against, against an enemy that wants to destroy our homes, our families, our children, our future, our calling, our purpose. He will not stop. Now, the good thing is, it's like you got the cheat code because you can be victorious holding on to Christ and then not have to worry about him trying to destroy you. We will prevail. But these are real things. He, built, he, 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 he sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft and consulted with mediums and psychics. Again, I'm not saying that this is wrong just because I'm saying it. The Word talks about these things. These are not things that we need to be doing as children of God. He did much of that. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. One thing is, I don't want God mad at me. Just, that's just, I, I just don't want God mad at me. Goodness gracious, reading these verses, you would think, you would think, because you know how it is these days, we see somebody and we automatically judge the parents. We don't even, we never even met the parents, right? People probably see Abigail, I'm like, man, that little girl doesn't stay still. Her dad, not, her, her dad must not show her how to sit down. Listen, we look at Manasseh and we must be like, this guy, who, who were his parents? Who raised this guy? They must have did a horrible job. They must have not taught him the right things. They must have not done the right things. They must have not loved him enough. You know, we, we know how it is. We, we, we judge quickly the second we see someone acting up. Can you imagine? This, you would have thought that this guy was raised by pagans himself. He was raised by one of the best kings that Judah had ever had. Does that sound like someone that was right? But again, every individual needs to make their own decision. Although the scriptures tell us that both Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah were both faithful men of God and who sought out to please God, they both had sons that were unfaithful and did wrong in the eyes of God. As faithful as they were, there's no guarantee that, our children, uh, that, that there was, their children would have been faithful to God. 
So some of you may say, well, then I guess there's no, I guess we don't try. Well, I mean, they got to make their own decision anyway. You know what? Then I'll just let them be. The thing is this, we still have to try. You see, this is the thing. We still have to try. We still have to do our best. We still can't sit back and do nothing to help them follow the right path because I'm going to tell you this. It's not guaranteed that they will follow the Lord, but if you do nothing, there's a higher guarantee that they also will do nothing and will be unfaithful and will not have a relationship with God. Do you understand this? So if I have a chance, if I have an opportunity for my child to love the Lord, to be saved, to spend eternity in heaven, if I have an opportunity and and a chance for that, why will I not do my best? Why won't I do my best if I have a chance? So what's a father to do? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 to 7, says, and you must, everybody say must. Must. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again. Say again. To your children, talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Throughout scriptures, throughout the scriptures, fathers are commanded and encouraged to teach their children the difference between right and wrong. Ask yourselves, do I do that? Do I do that? Do I teach my children what's right and what's wrong? Stealing is bad, son. Then they see you tapping into the neighbor's cable for free cable. You'd be like, Irvin, um, can you do me a favor? Can you, can you, like, splice in a wire from that house to mine? You tell them not to steal, but then they see that you're taking cable from the next door neighbor, and you're not paying for cable, but you're telling them not to steal. Are we teaching them the difference between right and wrong, not through just words, but by lifestyle? It says commit wholeheartedly to these commands. You got to be all in. Men, and all the men and ladies, this is for for us all. We have to be all in. Not just when it convenes you, when it's convenient for you. You know how it is when the kids are acting up. You're like, the Bible doesn't like that. You have to be obedient to your parents. We all know that. Every parent tells their child, you need to be obedient. The Bible says it. We use the word when it's convenient, but it's not only for our convenience. It's for our salvation. It's for our salvation. And so what happens is to commit wholeheartedly means that we need to have these commands imprinted in our hearts. means that you got to know them for yourselves first. Which means you got to study the Word of God yourself as well. Fathers need to be like the Bereans. Like the Bereans. Every time I see Bereans, I always think of a conversation Vanessa and Camille always have. It's, it's, like, it's like that word is always coming out of their mouth. <laughs> Bereans, Bereans. Acts, 11, Acts 17, verse 11. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, 
and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched, what do you mean they studied, right? They searched, they studied the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were telling the truth. They studied day after day. So Paul would stand before them and Silas would stand before them and they would preach the message, the good news. And they'd be like, oh, okay, okay. Oh, that's a good point. All right, all right, all right. Then they would go home and they would open the scriptures to confirm that what they were saying were correct. You guys do know that I encourage that. I want you to go back. You know, it's funny because there's a gentleman here, Carlos. I'm put you on. This, I'm put you on blast. I'm, Carlos Velez, right there. I, he, he's he's an example for this because. Throughout the week, he's posting scriptures on his social media, and if you pay attention to the ones that he's posting, a lot of it were all the verses that we've covered in the Sunday sermon. So what's showing me is that he's going back and reading it on his own, right, and making sure, okay, well, pastor said, all right, that's good, that's good. It's in there. It's right. And guess what? I'm not offended when people do that. I'm encouraged because that means that we have a family of believers that are, are desperate to understand God's word and do not want to be led astray. And that's how we keep ourselves from being led astray, by bouncing it off of his word. If you ever go somewhere and whoever's speaking or preaching or leading and, and they're, they're not thrilled with you going back and reading it for yourself, that's a red flag. That's a red flag off the bat. Because there's, all right. That's true. That's true. That's true. But um, but still, but still, we just, it's a red flag um, because there's probably saying things that are not scriptural and they don't want you to realize that for yourself. And that what they are looking for is a herd of blind sheep that will follow them without questioning, without ever, uh, you know, uh, challenging the words that have been said against the word of God. So anyways, be careful for that because that is happening more and more as the, clo- as the return of Christ is getting nearer and nearer. All right. President Woodrow Wilson once said, I ask every man and woman in this audience that from this day on, they will realize that part of the destiny of America lies in the personal perusal of, in their daily perusal of this great book, as he referred to the Bible. So I say to you men today and everyone else, everyone in the room, we need to realize that the destiny of our families lies in the daily examining of the great book, the Bible. The destiny of your family. So the word tells us to repeat God's word over and over to our children, to impress the word of God on, on them at all times. Do you know we have so many opportunities to teach our children the word of God throughout life, throughout the day, throughout like the week? You know, I know that we encourage the families to get together on their own and have like what we used to call like a family altar. 
right? Where like once a week you get together with your family and, and you, you know, you sing some songs depending on how old the kids are. You know, if they're little, you sing little songs, you do a little devotion. My parents would do that with us. I fail because I want to do that. And sometimes the scheduling is just crazy. Um, but, but I need to do better. I need to do better, right? But even doing a family altar once a week is not enough. A father, a head of a household, can't feel that, okay, we already did that on Tuesday or on Monday, so we good, you know, we'll go to church, and then next Tuesday, next Monday, they'll get another one. It's a daily thing, constant, daily. You know, we have these what I call teachable moments, and I think I've mentioned to you guys that we, you know, Camille and I would have teachable moments with Kevin and our goddaughter, who was always with us, you know, during her teen years, um, it, it, was like she, it was like teachable moments in every situation. An example of a teachable moment was that Abigail asked me not too long ago a question that I didn't expect her to ask me so soon. She says, she goes, um, how do babies get inside the bellies of mommies? Because remember, my daughter Jocelyn had just had the baby. And so she's like, how did the baby get there in the first place? I'm like, oh, okay. You're, you're a little too young to have the talk, right? So, Lord, give me, give me wisdom. As I said, that's a good question, sweetie. <laughs> As I bought time, right? You know, like, that's a really good question, right? I said, um, I said, when mommies and daddies love each other, they get married. And once they're married... And they continue to love each other. God gives them a baby. And she, thank goodness, she was satisfied with that. (laughs) She was. But in just a simple answer, I want you guys to see how my words to her were a reinforcement of the Scripture. In that little explanation, I told her that marriage is between a a man and a woman. I'm teaching my daughter that according to the scripture, marriage is between a man and a woman. I'm also teaching her that babies come after marriage. Now we all, not everyone here has, you know, I, there's no shaming, no guilting, this not, but we want to teach our children that. We make mistakes, but we still want to teach our children that, right? And so what happens is I'm teaching her that, that children come after marriage, and marriage is between man and, and a wife. Something so simple, right? So simple as just answering. So imagine, imagine all the things that we, as our children, ask questions throughout the, time, throughout the day. Something as simple, our children are innocent. They're going to ask questions about so much. They'll ask questions about trees and why is that tree this way or why is that tree that way? So, oh, you know what? God loves us so much and those trees that he gives us help us breathe, right? And so, and, and when it's animals, oh, he loves us that we don't have to feed, you know, especially when they want to feed every animal outside. Oh, God loves all of his animals that he feeds them. They'll never have to worry about eating. Because he feeds them. These are all things that are in the Bible. And the thing is, we can teach our children this in normal conversation. So I'm not telling you to sit down your four-year-old and be like, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians, this and that. They're not going to, and I'm not saying to do that, right? (laughs) Because they're just going to be like, you know. But I'm saying in how we talk to our children, 
we can raise them in the ways of the Lord. Amen? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. How are we instructing our children? How are we instructing our children? What are we teaching them? Fathers will teach their kids all sorts of stuff, right? They'll teach them how to change a flat tire. They'll teach them how to, so, I mean, I can't change, teach you how to change spark plugs, but some change spark plugs. Some, you know, some parents will teach, you know, maybe Kevin will teach Kingston how to do video shoots and video stuff, right? Like, you know, I know that uh, I've taught Abigail how to get frid- uh, ice from the fridge so I don't have to get up. Um, I've taught Abigail how to pick up a snake properly. You hold it from the back, from the, from the, you know, right where the head ends. You pick it up, and guess what? She has done it. She loves, she loves, she likes snakes a lot. We just can't have one because Camille we, would flip. <laughs> but are we teaching them? But are we teaching them to be followers of Christ? We teach them the importance of doing so good in school. You got to do good in school. You got to get good grades. We teach them in the importance of doing good in school, but are we teaching them the importance of doing their best for the master? And I'm not saying that telling them to do good in school is bad. We need to, we need to encourage our children to do well. We need to. But are we also teaching them to do their best for the master? Do we teach them how to treat we te- <laughs> do we teach them how to treat others, right? But never teach them how to treat the Lord and his church. A family court judge once said, "We adults spend far too much time preparing the path for our youth and far too little time preparing our youth for the path." How well are we preparing the kids for the path, the straight and narrow path? And, and you know what? Many times, as, and as men, this is something that happens by accident, right? If we are not intentional, then we feel, I got to go out, I got to work, I got to do hard, I got to make sure the house is good, I got to make sure they have what they need, I got to make sure they have food. And so our focus is, I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to make sure they have what they need so when they get to the future, they'll be okay. But what happens is we're focusing on all the external things, right? You don't want maybe a savings account, maybe make sure they're doing good, put them in this class or put them in, in martial arts so they can beat up their people that try to beat them up, whatever the case may be, you know, defend themselves. But are we preparing our child spiritually? to deal with the spiritual matters that he or she will definitely encounter in their life. We need to do that. We need to do that. What's a father to do? As I mentioned earlier, fathers can set an example for their children, right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 Verse 9 says, we certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but wanted to give you an example to follow. 
Paul, right? He could have just told them what to do. Listen, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I want you to have food on my plate here. This, he could have set it all up, but what he did is he wanted to lead by an example because it's easy to tell anyone what to do. It's harder to be the example, and, but then it's a long-lasting imprint. Like I remember being told what to do when I was in the Marines working on the armament systems for the helicopters. It was easy to hear someone tell me what to do, Right? But I, I didn't really get it right away. But it was different when someone was there with me and they were working on it and I was next to them. I was seeing what they were doing and their example made an imprint. So therefore, when I had to do it on my own, I remember the example that was given to me way before I could remember what was said to me. It should be obvious. It should be obvious. What kind of example we should be showing our children. Titus chapter 2, verse 7. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect integrity and seriousness of your teaching. When Camille and I were youth pastors, one of our worst enemies in ministry, one of your worst enemies in youth ministry will be quote-unquote Christian parents that say one thing in church and live differently at home. That is a youth leader's nightmare. Because here we were it, trying to encourage a healthy, serious walk with God, telling them how important this was to stay faithful, showing them that, you know what, you know, trying to some listen, the Bible says this, and this is why we have to live this way. This is why we need to love. This is why we need to forgive. This is why we need to be compassionate. This is why, and, and we'll go down the list of everything. This is why we need to, you know, and then what's happening is they're hearing it, and they're like, you know what, that's right. I need to be like this. And then they go home, and their Christian parents do the opposite, and it causes a confusion with a teenager saying, wait, I'm being taught this but because I'm supposed to be a Christian, but my parents are Christian, and they don't do this, so do I really need to do this or not? Do I really need to follow this or not? And it causes a confused teen that really probably does want to do good, but is confused because their parents mean the world to them. And it's just not a good example. It was definitely an uphill battle. An uphill battle. I'm not live. Yo, I've gotten into arguments with other dads when I was a youth pastor. Like, like desperate, in desperate measures to be like, you, you don't realize the damage that you're doing to your son. Like, do you not care about your son's salvation? Like, like, these are conversations I've had before. Like, I have to look at parents like, do you not care if your child goes to hell for eternity? Like, do you, does that not bother you? Because if, it, it, if, it, if for a moment you're like, oh, man, I don't want that, then you need to do your part. You need to do your part. Our example, as, you know, should be 
fathers, parents, who are faithful in their worship attendance. Now, I do want to excuse there's a lot of fathers on vacation today. A lot of good Christian men of God that are not here today, but they're on vacation. And so this doesn't apply to them. <laughs> but um, Hebrews 10, 25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Listen, church, if your children see that Sunday worship is not a priority to you, then it will never be a priority for them. It starts now. Again, I told you, I want to, listen, I told you I was born like in the church pretty much. And I'm telling you, like, they would be in church everywhere. I would, I had a, oh, my own little section underneath the row that they would put me to sleep because we were still in church, right? It was like, you know, we, like, we especially back then, they used to do more of like the all-night vigils, right? So we would get to church at like 8 o'clock at night and leave at 6 in the morning. Some of y'all are like, what? Yeah. And you know what they would do all night? Pray. And, 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 and preach and worship together all night long. Maybe one day we'll try to do that. Powerful nights. Powerful nights. I think I slept most, I slept the best in those nights. Those, that, those, those like the, the pews and the underneath the seats, they were like heaven on the nights like that. But, um, it won't be a priority for them if it's not for you. And then what happens is we find ourselves as adults with adult children begging God on our knees, Lord, save my daughter. Save my, save my son. Now as adults, they're, and they, you know, they're, they're, they're living a reckless life, and you're just like, Lord, help me. But all this could have been different if you would have shown them the priority of putting God first. Listen, like I said, it was Sunday worship was engraved. Sunday is a holy day. Don't plan nothing. Don't, I mean, if you're going to plan it, it better be after this hour, right? I mean, that's how I was raised, right? And so what happens is even when I was not serving the Lord, and Carlos, you know, my dad be at church like, like hey, who'll leave you if you ain't ready? But he, like, he, he's not missing anything. Oh, well, if you're a child, he's taking you the way you are. So if you're not dressed, you, and you, if you're not ready, you're going to end up going to church not ready. But the thing is, the thing is that even when I turned and I rebelled from God, I rebelled in my walk with God, I never missed a Sunday. <laughs> Can y'all believe that? Like I was in the Marine Corps. And I, would live, I was living a reckless life. I would be out all Saturday night. And there were some Saturday nights that I would come home, take a shower, put clothes on, and go to church. Like, without sleeping, go straight to church. Knowing I was living wrong, knowing I was a mess, knowing I needed to repent, knowing I needed to change my life. But yet, I never missed a Sunday. That's how bad it, the imprinted it was in my life. But you know what? Every Sunday I went. In that situation, in that season, Holy Spirit spoke to me. He tugged at me. He reminded me, you know, that, that, you know, he's like, this is not you. This is not what I've called you for. 
He said, I love you. I've never stopped loving you. My arms are open. I'm waiting for you to come back to me. These are all every Sunday, every Sunday that I would go in this season. I remember. And it would be like half of me is like, you know, I don't want to go because you know what God's going to tell you. Like, right? You know, it was, it was every Sunday was a battle. Like, no, I'm going to go. I can't miss it. Because when I would miss a Sunday, I would just feel empty. Like I, like I failed. Like in my, in, my, in my mind, like, oh, I must have failed God. Like in my mind. I understand that we go on vacation, and that's not, to, that's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about prioritizing worshiping with one another, meaning if you have a choice, if you have a choice to be here or not, that the choice is to be here. If you have a choice to get your children up and to get people dressed, and if, listen, if you bring your kids in pajamas, you bring them in pajamas. If they weren't ready in time, bring them the way they are. They're still going to hear the same message. <laughs> there, ain't no, there ain't no parent shaming here. <laughs> this is family. If you have a choice, your choice is to be in the house of the Lord. We should never say, oh, I had to stay home and cut the grass during service. I mean, really, come on, come on. We have Sunday all day, so then just go home and cut it. Or wake up earlier and cut it. Like, you know, there's, there's things. We should never, there, there's something, like I said, I should write a book of all the excuses that we hear. I mean, the excuses that we hear. It's just Church, if you want to save yourself heartache and grief, when your children are grown, help them to learn to prioritize God now. Because even when they stray from the path, if they do, the fear of God is still in their lives like it was in mine. And that will, it just, it, it, it just okay. It does. Our example should be fathers who live out what they profess. We need to be ethically faithful to the Lord. Matthew 23, verse 27 and 28 says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look righteous, like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Men know this. Men, I'm talking to men right now. Our spouses and our children, they see right through us. They see right through us, right? They know. They know. They just know. They got that. They know. Do our lives match what we are publicly professing? When we get angry at our wives, are we saying, do we, do we lose our Christianity for a moment and say things that we regret later in front of our children? Even worse. Do our children see what you're watching or do they hear what you're listening to? Are those things that you are watching and hearing edifying? Does it edify your soul? 
There were some good questions um, the other day about is this bad or is this bad, is this right or is this wrong? And, 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 and many times, you know, there's, there's weird gray areas where you're like, you don't really know what to say, right? So there's the simple thing is this. You got to ask yourself, will this edify my soul? Will this edify my soul? If it's not, then you probably just don't need it in your life. You don't need it. Lastly, our example as fathers should show faithfulness to the Lord in service. The Christian life involves serving others and your church. If you call yourself a Christian, it involves serving other people. It involves serving your church family. Mark 10, 43 to 44 says, But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave to everyone else. Men, if I'm honest with you this morning, this, and this is the only area that I was going to say we failed. I, I have to say we fail. Men, we fail in this area. N- not all of us, but the majority of us. You see, whenever there's a call to service, whenever there's a call for help from this platform out to the, to the body, there is a strong group of powerful women. They're like, Pastor, we'll be there. And I can always count on a handful of women to be there to serve. But many times we are greatly outnumbered, men, in opportunities like this. And I understand because I've heard all the reasonings. It's my only day off. I'm tired when I get home from work. You know, oh, you know, I'll just, I'll let her do those things. There's a list of things. There's a list of reasonings why men don't come to serve. And indirectly, what we're teaching our children, men, is that we care more about ourselves than others. Indirectly, we're teaching them that we don't care about anyone else. That we have to take care of ourselves first, right? Look, we have to live for ourselves. We have to do me. We have, we have to put ourselves before everyone, which goes against the teachings of Jesus. Without having to say anything, our actions train our children to either say, Daddy doesn't have time to care for other people. He's too tired to care for other people. And so forth and so forth. Man, I say this not to make us feel bad, but I say this to help encourage you to understand the importance of serving. Right now, the, the medical institute program that they're having in the summer, 
the director of the program, she, she says to me, she's like, Pastor, we desperately need men volunteers. She's like, we are, she's like, we are all women walking these streets by ourselves. We're all women. She's like, Pastor, if there's any men that you know that could walk with us, that can translate for us, that could, that could help us, please. And I said, <laughs> I said to her, uh, Holly, um, I'll do my best. But sadly, I, I, knowing that it wasn't a reality that we would be able to get a big group of men to go walking in these streets with her. Now, the main reason is we are, you know, the men work, and it's during, mostly during the day. But then the second reason is when you finally off, do you want to give that time to others? One thing I say that I know drives some of my family members crazy is this. There will be time for me to rest in eternity. There will be time for me to rest in eternity. Now, that doesn't mean that I disregard my health because I still need to unplug, right, occasionally. I still need to spend some, some uninterrupted time with my wife and uninterrupted time with my family. That is necessary for everyone to do. But when it comes to the everydayness of life, there'll be time for me to rest in eternity. And right now, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So there's a lot of work to be done for me to be sitting down, resting now. In closing, in church, can you stand with me this morning? Because the calling is not only for men this morning. It's primarily for our men. But there are women here that the calling is the same for you. Calling is the same to be an example, to, to, to train your children up, to show them through our lifestyle what, what God desires for us. I used to do a lot of camping and hiking, and when, when you go into the woods and you're trying to get from one side of the woods to the other side, it's like the best feeling in the world when you realize, oh, there's a path here. There's a trail. Because now you can get from one side to the other side without feeling like you're Indiana Jones, right? Trying to chop through jungle and forest. Now, I still have to choose to walk that path. But if I choose to walk that path, it's already been cleared for me. Fathers, men, understand this. This is what we are doing. When we are the men of God that we're called to be and we are leading our families in the way that we are, what we are doing is we are clearing a path for our children. What we are doing is by our sacrifice, by our hard work, by our dedication and commitment to serving the Lord and being what he's called us to be, this is what we're doing. Chopping, 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 faithful, 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 committed, committed, committed. We are creating a path. And when our children are big enough, they're going to stand in this path 
and they may choose to walk it or not. But when they choose to walk it, it's a path that you have already laid for them. We create a path for them to walk by the way we live our lives today, by how we love them today, how we speak to them today, how we, how we live our every day. Some of us standing here today didn't have the example that we needed to have in our lives, and it makes it difficult to be a father because I didn't have a father, or perhaps he didn't do the right things, and I'm struggling to do the right things because he did the wrong things. And even though I want to do the right things, I, no one's ever shown me that, and we struggle, and I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray with you this morning because you can overcome that. You can overcome that. We can overcome the generational curses in our life that have been handed down. Well, my, my great-grandfather was this way, so my grandfather was this way, and my, my father was this way, so it's only natural that I, too, am an abusive person. You do not have to remain like this. We serve a God that breaks these generational curses like this, like this. But do you want, to change, do you want that broken in your life? Or have you grown accustomed to it? Have you grown comfortable? I invite you to the altar. We want to pray with you right now so that you can leave this place today with boldness in the name of Jesus.